Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, it's so good to be with you. We are, uh, we're so grateful. You know, you know, we're a week after Easter, and believe it or not, the tomb is still empty. We're still celebrating Jesus and his victory today and the fact that he's so good. And, you know, I believe God's doing some really good work in our church, and he's really moving in some amazing ways. The Spirit of God is moving and renewing hearts, and I see it working during worship. And I, and I hope and pray that you are seeing and feeling that too. And so all I have to say, this is a great time to be bringing friends, bringing family into the church because we are, we're so passionate about seeing people reach for Christ. We want to reach people for Jesus. And, and we know that when people who need a church home come into a place like this and they see God move and that, that God moves in their heart, we believe he's going to do great things. And so I'm just thankful today. Anybody else thankful today? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to, we're going to start a new series today called James. And we thought it'd be a little fun to, of course, throw that video up there. We love it. And, uh, but, but here's the deal. The book of James, if you aren't familiar with it, is a short book at the end of the Bible. And it's believed by many to be written by the brother of Jesus. And we call him the half-brother of Jesus because, of course, they shared the same mother and Mary. Uh, but James was the biological son of Joseph while Jesus was the son of God. So... Again, it was one of those situations, James was never having that conversation like, oh yeah, my dad's better than your dad kind of moment. Like that never happened, just didn't, didn't go that way. But my encouragement to you during this series is, uh, is, is to be reading the book of James. And I'm excited about the, this, this, this series. Next week we're in James 2, so that means you should read James chapter 2 before next Sunday. That's your homework. But next week, Leslie, our student pastor, she's going to be bringing the word and it's going to be really good. So yeah. Be here, bring your friends, bring some popcorn. I don't know, but maybe not the popcorn bit, but bring, and then a few later in the series, Scott's going to be doing James 4, and then we're ending up on, he didn't get as big a cheer, Scott. <laughs> and then on Mother's Day, Christy and I are teaming up to do, to wrap up the series of James chapter 5, so give it up for Christy. So we're excited about it. Um, but, but, but seriously, maybe before each Sunday, just read chapter, the chapter we're about to go into. Since we're in chapter 1 today, then this week, maybe read chapter 1 and Two. Sound good? You guys ready? You can do this, right? All right, you all ready to do the swan dive in? You ready to go today? Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right, let's do this. I want to begin by spending a few minutes um, just talking a little bit of background, big picture of the book. You know, why was this letter written? You know, what is it for? What's its purpose? You got to get into that stuff with the Bible. And when you read the Bible, this is a process called understanding the context. Everyone say context. Everyone say context. context. All right. How many of you know that when you don't understand the context of something, you might misinterpret the meaning? You know what I'm talking about? Like, for example, I could say, hey, did you know that the Sooners killed the Cowboys? In which that you might understand the context, perhaps being the Oklahoma Sooners, the OU Sooners killed the OSU Cowboys 41 to 13, but who's counting? Or perhaps that you know, they've won 90 times in the history versus OSU's 18. But again, who's counting? If we're talking the context of a football game, that might be what you interpret. But I actually wasn't talking about football. I was talking about in 1889 when the real Sooners uh, cheated and went across the line and they killed a group of cowboys. You got to understand the context, friends. That didn't actually happen, but here's the thing. Um, somebody's like, 
history's good, but Sooners Killed the Cowboys is a friendly football game or it's a really bad horror movie. But nonetheless, um, the Bible and the context that we interpret from it is important to know because we can easily misinterpret. You ever known someone to misinterpret the Bible because they don't understand the context? So, as I mentioned, most scholars point to James, the brother Jesus, being the author. However, I must mention that a lot of scholars believe that, that this James wasn't that James, meaning that in Jesus' circle of disciples, there were some other James figures, and some believe it was a different James. But I don't know if it really matters. However, there's some evidence that might lead to it being Jesus' brother because the leader of, um, excuse me, the writer of this letter was clearly a leader in the church in Jerusalem and was a prominent among early church believers. And of course, if you know anything about the scriptures, you might know that James, the brother of Jesus, became a pillar in the, early, the New Testament church, the early church. He became a pillar because he, he was not only the brother of Jesus, but of course, if you know anything about the story, the brothers of Jesus didn't actually believe he was the Messiah. They called him crazy until after Jesus' death, whenever Jesus gave a special visit to his brother James. He was one of the first eyewitnesses. And of course, from that point forward, James was, of course, a believer. And then it says that he kind of rose up in the church as a leader. There's, a, there's an example in Acts 15 where you see James stand up to settle a really important matter about Paul's ministry to the Gentiles and which is an important moment in church history and james was the one that settled the matter and so what regardless if it was the author that is james the brother of jesus or he was a brother from another mother it doesn't really matter because he was a leader in this church and as far as context what is this letter all about what's its purpose and who was it written for we're going to jump into verse number one and i'll just read this to kind of help us get this thing rolling it says, Jesus, or excuse me, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So this is addressed to the 12 tribes of Israel, meaning it's addressed to Jews, but specifically since James identifies himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus, he is actually talking to Jewish Christians, Jewish Christ followers, those who were born in the heritage of Judaism, but they have come to know Jesus and now their salvation and their identity and their passion and their purpose is all rooted in Jesus. He's writing to this group of people. They're a unique group of people because they have this heritage of Judaism with them. And he is speaking to them. And the question of why this letter is written, written may be the most important question. You can see on our screen, we have the words authentic faith. And so he's, he's going to start talking to these believers about living a life with authentic faith, meaning that your actions would actually resonate with what you say you believe, that your lifestyle matches your love for Jesus. James writes about this, and I just really wanna just even pause right now and just say this word, authentic faith, I believe is gonna be a word for many of us that we need. And in fact, even right now, I would just say, just pause and just allow that to sink into your heart, this idea that we're going to be talking about called authentic faith. The Holy Spirit, I believe, wants to move in us in that way. If I summarize the themes of authenticity in James over five chapters, it may look like this. I'll throw this on the screen. But chapter one is about an authentic faith in God, meaning it's about an authentic faith or trust no matter what we face in life, 
and his authentic trust in his word. Chapter 2 is about an authentic action. Faith without works is dead. Chapter 3 is about authentic speech, that out of the heart, the mouth speaks, so what is coming out of our heart. Chapter 4 is about authentic humility in a world that competes for your affection and identity. There's a response of humility. And then chapter 5 is about an authentic church. Now, this doesn't cover everything that James talks about throughout this book, but it does cover some of the main themes. And so again, here's what I want to, if you are, most of us aren't theologians or Bible scholars, but I do want you to know that there's some pushback sometimes against James, but it's because they don't understand the context. This letter is not intended to tackle everything about the gospel. James writes a letter with a specific message about authenticity to a specific group of people, and this is really important because if you don't remember the context, you might think that James is a really tough dude, that all he cares about is the law, the law, the law, do, 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 be, do more things, and it's kind of a tough love, sort of old school coach type of communication where there's this fire coming. I mean, he speaks, he speaks with passion and fire coming at you. And if you're not careful, you might think that James is just some tough dude. In this book, there's no mentions, if you will, of the freedom we have in Christ or the grace that we have through God's forgiveness or the power of the resurrection and the victory we have in Jesus. And his emphasis on works can feel a little bit slanted. However, he doesn't mention those important things because those things undergird the book, meaning they are already the assumed things of the believer. He's taking a specific message to people who already know these things. In the context of this letter, James is calling the church up into who they're supposed to be, a life that is full of an active faith. He's likely sending a jolt to their complacency, or maybe he's actually you know, saying, I see a lack of real ministry in your church. Yeah. And he wanted his brothers and sisters in Christ to be full of authenticity and an active emboldened, faith-filled life. So the context helps me read this and understand what James is up to. That he's calling us not to just do more, but he's calling us to do more because God's called us to it and he wants us to live with an authentic faith. So, I assume all of us would agree that authenticity is incredibly important to value in life. Raise your hand if you value authenticity. For those of you not raising your hand, thank you for being real and authentic today. <laughs> Appreciate that. We, ex we value authenticity, don't we? we? For example, in the world of art collections, don't we need it to be authentic? Authenticity is key. We don't want any forgeries. We want the original. In fact, there's a whole industry dedicated to identifying forgeries and fakes so that we can ensure authenticity is there. That's just in one space in life. And this, this kind of value of authenticity extends into collectibles. That's a really easy one to point to, whether it be art or, or antiques. Or when I was a kid, I collected sports cards, baseball, basketball, football cards. Most of you know that sports cards have uh, they have value to the right person. I'm always wondering who these people are, but they have value to the right person. And for the value to exist, not only do they need to be authentic, meaning the card is no forgery, no fake, but they need to be, they need to be what's called mint condition uh, for ultimate value. So not only the real deal, no forgeries, no fakes, right? But they have to be in pristine kind of condition to possess ultimate value. Now here's the deal. 
I have a lot of cards from my childhood. I still have them to this day. And I have a picture of some of the cards. I went in through my cards last night. I pulled some out, and these are some of them. And I'm just telling you, you're looking at thousands of dollars on the screen. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be a capital B-I-G nerd for a second. I'm going to nerd out for just one moment. Because, yeah, I've got several Michael Jordans, King Griffey Juniors, Barry Sanders, all the 80s and 90s greats if you're into sports from that era. Anybody with me? Yeah, yeah. Some of you guys are like, oh, man, that, that, that's a dream up there. I like that. But perhaps my most valuable card on the screen is, is the Scottie Pippen card. You can go to the next slide right there. That's his rookie card. It's worth anywhere between twenty and fifteen hundred dollars, somewhere. <laughs> Here's the thing. There's a thing called PSA. It's called Professional Sports Authenticator. It's all about the authenticity of the card. They measure the card based on a one to ten scale. Ten being it's 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 authenticated at its most um, closest to its original con, uh, original design, if you will, and so. The, obviously, the higher the score, the better. I'm not sure what my PSA score on my Pippin is, but I'm claiming the favor and blessing of God over it. <laughs> and what I'm saying is there is a chance that I'm rich. Just saying, I'm retiring soon. For real, there was, there, there was this week, this week, there was a Tom Brady card. You guys know Tom Brady, the GOAT, right? Just won a seventh Super Bowl. Tom Brady rookie card, a rare rookie card that sold for $2.25 this week. I'm just saying, this may be my last message. <laughs> Hashtag island life, you know what I'm saying? I have it. It's just, in, it's just in my garage. I have it. So why am I talking about PSA and basketball cards? Here's the thing. Because it shows us something about, um, it shows us something about value. Everyone say value. Value, value depends on how authentic it is meaning how authentic it is to its original design. I'm going somewhere. Are you guys feeling it? Yeah. We're headed there. You see, we may casually think that authenticity is about honesty. We often describe a person as authentic as if they're honest, but I am just saying you can be honest and not authentic. You ever heard someone say, I'm an honest liar? <laughs> I, I, they're honest about their habitual lies. That doesn't mean, they, they might be honest, but they aren't authentic. And honesty is a wonderful character trait. In fact, you can't be authentic without being honest. However, I don't want us to confuse honesty with authenticity. Authenticity is actually so much more. For example, some people are honestly full of hatred for another race of people. But that hatred doesn't come from their authentic self. It actually comes from a false self rooted in either lies or fear or possibly wounds from their past or who knows, maybe some sort of problem and brokenness in their family of origin. My point is all of those structures are inauthentic structures from the original design of that person. The person was not designed to be full of hatred. So you see, our authentic self, our true self, is the person that is closest to our original design. Our original design is, what, is that we were made in the image of God, right? Genesis 1.27 says, 
Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. So to be made in the image of God actually means that we are going to reflect the nature of God, to mirror his ways and his character, which is why I brought this little mirror today. All right, I'm going to see if I can get some people in the eyes with this. But I brought this little mirror today, not to gaze into my own reflection while I preach at you, right? But we are created to reflect. Everyone say reflect. We are created to reflect his very nature of love and goodness and faithfulness and peace. These are the things that are closest to our original design. These are the things that we are created to be. So these image of God quality, image of God qualities are our authentic self. They're the things that we're supposed to be. It's how we were originally designed. We all have our own personalities. We all have our own gifts. We all have our own own unique traits about us, and they don't compete with the image of God. They actually enhance it, meaning God has created you for a special work. Therefore, your unique design combined with the image of God qualities actually makes you a PSA 10 when you're operating out of that. Are you with me? So what I'm saying is anytime we live in a way that doesn't reflect the image of God, such as when we live under the lie of shame or under the lie of guilt, or when we live in a sin, we are actually living under the deception from the enemy in the kingdom of darkness, where we are not being our authentic self, but we are finding our way to live into a false self, and therefore our original design is diminished in our life, and we and our value begins to decrease. So listen, therefore, if our authenticity decreases, we have to remember that our value decreases. And you're like, hold on, what? I mean, to ourselves. Because remember, value has to do with authenticity. So where does depression, where does shame, where does guilt, where does low self-esteem, where does cutting, and where does suicide exist? It exists when we have a low value of self and we are not living from our authentic person. When we are forgetting who we are, whose we are, and how we were created to be, we live from a place of falsehood. Are you guys with me? So here's the thing. You guys are going, hold on, did James say all that? (laughs) This is a good point to say, is this what James is talking about? Which I was like, we're going to talk about this whole thing. And this is what James is saying. Here's the thing. He's not talking about, in specific terms, the authentic self and the false self. But this is exactly what James is talking about. He is saying, yes, be authentic, live congruently and with integrity. He's saying, don't claim Jesus and then live something else. He's saying, don't claim Jesus and then have no deeds that embody your faith. He's saying, don't claim Jesus, then use your words to destroy others. He's saying, live authentically. He's saying, be an authentic follower of Jesus. Again, James wants you to be a PSA 10 in your authenticity, which feels unrealistic to most of us. But he's saying, I want to call the best out of you. This is where he's calling us to. He famously says, consider, consider it joy when you face trials, which always has struck most of us like, man, that's so difficult to do. Let perseverance, he says this in chapter one, I'm not digging into this, but he says this in chapter one, let perseverance finish its work because it's going to mature you. Remain authentic no matter what you face. Trust the Lord through your trials. Verse 12 says it this way. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive a crown of life. See, 
Blessed is the authentic believer. In other words, continue to remember who you are no matter what you face. He also says in verse 16, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Heavenly lights. How many of you know that people have been deceived to think that God actually does some of the bad things in this world? People say, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? As if God is the one bringing the bad. Don't be deceived. God only brings good. God only brings good. And then starting in verse 21, that's where I want to spend the rest of our time. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Because that's inauthentic. And the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So he's saying trust in God's word. Do not really listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So authenticity isn't just receiving, agreeing, or hearing the word of God. It's actually going and doing what it says. Put your... Put your faith into action. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Again, I brought my mirror today. And I love this illustration that James gives. This is like me looking in this mirror, walking away and forgetting the color of my hair, right? This is me walking away from looking in the mirror and then forgetting what I look like. Do I look like Screech from Saved by the Spell or Zach Morris, right? This is 90s day if you haven't figured it out. We, when we, he says, listen, if you read the word of God and then you walk away from it and you forget what it says or you don't do what it says, that's basically like looking at your face in a mirror and forgetting what you look like. It's absurd. Don't forget who you are, is what he's saying. Don't forget who you are and who you've been created to be. I'm forgetting, and, and don't forget that you were formed in the image of God. Now, I think this, again, I think this is a word for many of us. It's a word for the church today. And it, and, it, and it isn't a harsh word. It's a word of love. It's a word that God says, I love you. I have better things in store for you, but it, it, I need you to come back to who you're supposed to be. I need you to be your, your, your most true sense of your authentic self. And it's not just going to be about the things you believe or the things that you say but it's going to be about the things that you do. You know, there's a system in the days of Jesus called the, called the system of the rabbi and the disciple. We're familiar with it because of Jesus and his disciples. But, but really, it was a system in which the passing on of information would occur between the rabbi and the disciple, but it wasn't just a learning where the, the disciple would hear and then receive, but it was actually one that was more about passing on doing. And so the disciple would hear and then do what the rabbi says. For example, they might hear how the rabbi prayed on the Sabbath. And then they would actually go and do it the exact same way. Or they might see how the, the rabbi would prepare a teaching and the habits that he had or the rituals that he went through. And they would go and mimic and imitate exactly what the rabbi did. There was actually a really cool saying that, the, that, that the, the best disciples would call, follow their, dis, their rabbi so closely. And, and of course, in those days, the streets were dusty and dirt-filled. They would 
followed their rabbi so closely that they would be covered in the dust of their rabbi. And when you picture that in, our, in, in, the, in the realm of Jesus, like we would follow the ways of Jesus, that we would mimic and imitate the ways of Jesus in such a way that we would be covered in his presence. Right? That there's this picture that Jesus once again gives us in this system of not just passing on knowledge, but passing on doing. He tells his disciples, he tells all 12 of them, hey, I want you to go and do what I've been doing. He sends them out. Later, he sends out 72. You guys remember this in the stories of the Gospels? He sends out 72, two by two, and he says what to them? He says, I'm not going to go with you, but I want you to go and do what I've been doing, which is the prayer of ministry and healing and preaching the kingdom of God. So they go and they do it. They come back and they have miraculous stories of how God had worked through them to do what Jesus had been doing. How many of you know that Jesus was the word in the flesh and they heard the word and then they did what the word said? And, and here's what we're doing now. We are hearing the word of God through the scriptures and we too in turn do what it says. There's a system of passing on not just a shared belief, but a shared way of life and the things we do. So this is what James is hammering on. He's like, listen, I want you to be authentic. James continues in verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So again, he's talking about what they do. He says, God will bless what you do when what you do comes from who you are. Now, who are you? You are created in the image of God. That is your most original design. When what you do, God will bless it. God will bless what you do when what you do comes from who you are. That was pretty good, Tim. Thank you. James is like, don't forget what you look like. Don't forget you, the image that you're supposed to reflect. Don't forget that what you've heard Jesus say and do. Don't forget these things. In fact, you've got to do them. You must be authentic. He says, listen to the word of God and then do what it says. And I've been saying, I believe this is a word for the church today because I believe the church has become really good at being hearers of the word. And what I mean is like, you know, we're in an era, right, where there is so much to listen to. We got podcasts and we got YouTube and, and I love all these things. I'm not condemning them. I actually participate in them. We have, we can make endless worship playlists on Spotify or YouTube. Or we, we can read endless devotionals on version, and we can, we can hear so much of God's word. And we're really actually becoming, even though there's a lot of statistics out there that are that are really concerning for the church. I think that probably the idea of more content and more word of, word of God in people's hearts and lives, they're hearing more of it right now than maybe they ever had in the history of the world because of technology. We are hearers of the word, but we have to ask ourselves, how good are we are be at being doers of the word? We have to ask ourselves that question because that's where authenticity lives. And all of us value authenticity. We want to be authentic in our faith. Chapter 2, James will really get into this type of actions that we must do. But I think for today, I want to settle into this mirror concept. 
I want us to look at ourselves in the mirror and consider, am I being my authentic self? And I want you to imagine today yourself looking at yourself in the mirror and and asking yourself, am I living the life that God's called me to live? Because you know your job in life is the relentless pursuit of everything God has created you to be. That's your job. We have other things we do in life, but as a follower of Jesus, your job is the relentless pursuit of everything God has created you to be. The thing that he originally set you apart for. The thing he originally created you for. That doesn't mean a job. That doesn't mean that means the person that you are. Who are you becoming? Are you becoming the person that God has created you to be? Or are you becoming something else? Are you pursuing that life? Or are you pursuing the life that other people have pressured you to pursue? Are you becoming like God wants you to become? Or are you becoming like they, whoever they are, want you to become? And these questions are real. And this is where authenticity sits. It sits in the reality that you can look in a mirror and you can, and you can say to yourself, I remember who I am, whose I am, and what I'm supposed to be about. And when you look at yourself in a mirror and then you walk away and forget who you are, well, that's, that's what James is talking about. I want to present three questions today that are authentic level questions. And honestly, these questions are kind of sit outside of even this message today. And they're more just in my heart as far as questions that we should always be asking ourselves. And they require honesty, but they also have the potential to change and transform your authenticity. Three questions that sort of undergird this for today. So the number one question is one that you may have already answered. A lot of us have. But I can't ask three questions about authenticity without, without asking this one. If you were going to look at yourself in the mirror and you just have to ask this question. Have I made Jesus Lord of my life? Every person has to ask this question. And every person has to be real about it. Because even for the person that says, no, I'm never going to do that. They at least have to acknowledge that they've answered this question. And I think some of us need to look in the mirror and seriously ask this today. A few sort of sub-questions to this one, maybe to word it just a little differently is, have you confessed your need for Jesus and surrendered your life to God? This is another way that people might say the same question. Or have you publicly shared this faith in Christ through baptism? Baptism doesn't save you, but if you've never been baptized, there's Lots of times a reason because there's some uncertainty in your heart. Bapti baptism is a symbol of your faith and the decision you've made for Christ. And if you're looking in the mirror today and you have to honestly say, no, I don't think I've ever truly surrendered my life wholeheartedly to Jesus, I would encourage you to take an action step today. In fact, in a moment when we pray, I'll, I'll lead you in an action step of a choice that you could say, yeah, I want to I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. The second question, again, this is a simple question, but you have to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, am I growing in my faith? This gets into the heart of authenticity. No matter how long you've been a Christian, are you growing in your faith? Because once again, your job is the relentless pursuit of everything God has created you to be. And you won't arrive there at any point in this life. But you can keep pursuing it all the days of your life. A few sub-questions for you. In what ways are you growing and what ways do you need to grow? You're always doing one or the other. 
So in what ways are you growing and what ways do you need to grow? And this is one of my favorites. Do you like who you're becoming? And what I mean by that is inside of you there's an authentic self that you long to be. And when you are living in a different direction, you're not going to like it. And you're going to know deep down inside that you aren't becoming the person God's created you to be. So if you look at the mirror and you're like, I don't feel like I'm growing right now. I'm stagnant. I feel distant or disconnected. If you say, I don't like where I'm headed. I'm not sure I even like who I'm becoming. If, if you look at the mirror and you say something like that, or I'm so tired of doing the same dumb thing over and over and over again. If you want to begin to grow in a new way, I want to give you an action step. This week, what's one thing you can stop doing and what's one thing you can start doing? What's one thing that is coming out of a false sense of identity or a false self or some sort of sin or some sort of behavior you don't want to participate in any longer? What's thing you, one thing you can stop and what's one thing you can start to become someone who's growing in their faith? And then the third question this is very personal, but do I need help with anything? This is about as honest and authentic as it gets to realize that you can't do it all. Have you been trying to do something on your own for some time and you need, you need to understand that God is your helper and many times God's helpers is his church. So do you need help with anything? Physical, spiritual, emotional? Do you have needs? And an action step for you today could be, I'm going to tell someone I need help. So tell one of us, tell one of our prayer team, tell one of our pastors where you're at. That's why we're here. Because we're partnering in the work of God to help people in life. Authenticity begins with questions like these. And remember, when I say God will bless what you do, it's because when the things that you do come from who you really are, God will bless them. So I want to pray for us, and, uh, and so I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want to invite you into a time of reflection and a time of response. I always believe that we should respond to God's word, that it shouldn't just be something we hear. And this is what a great message today to be able to say, we don't want to just be hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of it. So what is God calling you to do now? Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. We invite you to move. We invite you to, to remind us of who we are. Stir us up to remember these things so that we don't forget the things that, that are obvious, the things that we know but that we don't live. Holy Spirit, would you come? We're going to sing in just a few moments, and when we do this, the altar will be open. But today may be a day that you need to get authentic with the Lord and you need to come and bow in His presence and just pour out an authentic heart to Him. He wants to hear your heart today. We invite people to the altar because we believe there's a step that is required to go to the altar. And in that step, it's a step of faith. It's the first step to saying, Lord, I just want to surrender my heart to you. Even as believers, we continue to surrender to him. But I do want to go back to that first question. Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? And if you haven't and you want to, I want to help you do that today. It's a simple prayer. We say it around here a lot, and it says, Jesus, I give you my life. We say that prayer, and it's an act of surrender and a heart of 
submission to Jesus as Lord, a commitment to him for the rest of your life. And if that's something that you're saying, you know, I've wrestled with this for a long time and I'm open to it and I want to receive Jesus, maybe right now, just in a prayerful moment, you can surrender your life to Jesus. That that can be what you do today, to not just be a hearer, but a doer. If you want to give your life to Christ, I just want to lead you in a prayer. Just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just whisper that prayer. Say it to him. Mean it with all your heart. Jesus, I give you my life. Scriptures say we're supposed to confess, so we're going to do that. Say, I confess my sin and I ask for forgiveness. Just say that. I confess my sin and I ask for forgiveness. And this is a prayer of commitment. So we're going to say, and I commit my life to you. I commit my life to you. Just say that to him. I commit my life to you. And then we're going to thank him. Because God is a God of love and he loves you today. We're just going to say, thank you God for saving me. Thank you God for saving me. you just prayed that prayer, the scriptures say that the heaven, heaven celebrates every time a person comes into his kingdom. Heaven is celebrating the decision you just made. Lord, we thank you, and as a church, we join in that celebration today that, Lord, you're changing lives and you're doing work in people's hearts, and it's a significant, important, and amazing thing. And we celebrate you in the name of Jesus. And so we pray this together in agreement. And everybody said, amen. Would you stand with us? Yeah, you can clap. Hey, praise the Lord. As we sing today, this is really a, an invitation to continue to respond. That this altar's open and we're just going to sing to the Lord a heart that says, Lord, we want to be authentic in our faith. So our prayer team will be here. Please come and just respond to what God's putting in your heart this morning. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.